This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. This is J.G. Hertz, the General Martok on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 7 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. This is Part 2 in our series on Ira Stephen Bear's career as a showrunner, looking at his third show, The Twilight Zone. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we're joined by Tom Elliott of The Twilight Zone Network. How's it going, Tom? It's going very well. Thanks for having me, gents. Yeah, well, thanks for, for coming on. We really appreciate it. It's cool to to have a uh, a twilight zone expert on the show so so you you, you do it's it's a, a twilight zone network and then you do the twilight zone show on the twilight zone network right yeah yeah uh, i mean we have uh the idea was basically i i would do a twilight zone podcast uh talking about the twilight zone a friend of mine did a night gallery podcast rod sailings or the show uh, and we had some you know kind of old time radio shows that inspired the twilight zone on there but yeah the twilight zone's my baby so, so you're just doing like kind of a, a an episode by episode look at the show for the most part yeah um but occasionally i'll do uh, readings of stories that have been adapted into twilight zone episodes that sort of thing i've uh, interviewed people like Mark Zickery from the Twilight Zone Companion, uh, even Anne Sailing, Rod Sailing's daughter, she's been on the show. So, you know, anything that's uh, Twilight Zone orientated that I think will be of interest, I, I get it all on there. Yeah, that's cool. Mm. Yeah, Mark, Mark Zickery, that's someone who we'd love to have on this show, actually, because he's a, a Star Trek creator himself, and he's like the Twilight Zone guy, isn't he? He's done. It's also an amazing book. Twilight. So you're okay. Obviously, Twilight Zone. I'm guessing is one of your first loves when it comes to science fiction. But uh, what are your thoughts on on Star Trek? Well, I mean, I, I grew up with the original series when I was a small child. But when I was uh, in my teens, I guess uh, I, I I really kind of got into the next generation. That was my Star Trek, if you like. You know, I was a, I was a huge fan at the time. I used to get all the novelizations, all, all that kind of stuff. I, I think of recent years, my uh, I've moved on to other things, you know, and I'd love to go back and check out the next generation, especially, and see whether I still have that kind of love for it. But you know, I've got a great respect for Star Trek. I always check out the new movies and so on. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, this is a good time to re-examine the next generation with the Blu-ray releases. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely, and the yeah the special features that they've been doing on there too have been really outstanding and sort of shed a lot of new light onto to what was going on on that show. So, yeah. yeah. What what about Deep Space Nine? Since this is an Ira Stephen Bear show, and and Ira Stephen Bear was uh, the runner of of Deep Space Nine, did did you watch that at all? You know, uh, I I hate to say it, I don't want to. <laughs> get lynched for this but i am um, 
I I did watch it occasionally, um, but I found that I don't know. It just I never really warmed to it. it, it in the early days, and I, I've heard from a lot of people that as the longer the show went, the better it got. So, yeah. you know, that's cool. But um, I just don't think it was as accessible to the casual viewer as maybe the next generation was. Because when I when I would watch it, it would be like, you know, there's all this religious kind of stuff going on and the Bajorans and the wormhole and... And I just didn't know what what any of it was. I, you know, I really needed to watch it from the start, I guess. Um, so it just never really caught on with me. But you know, if time was no object, I would probably sit down and and take a look at it and see whether I could get into it. Yeah, it definitely was uh, very continuity heavy, um, especially mm-hmm. compared to the other shows, which uh, is is kind of interesting, especially uh, in relation to the show that we're going to be talking about today, um, which is not at all continuity driven. Did, have you seen? Uh, <laughs> did you see the episode that that uh, Mark Zakrie did for for uh, Deep Space Nine? The, I, you know, I I did not. I um, I really couldn't tell you which. The only one that I can really remember watching was trials and tribulations because you know who can't love that it's it's so good but um no i didn't see that one he i I think that you would actually like it it's very uh self-contained it's called far beyond the stars and uh i mean you can totally tell that that he wrote it it's basically some whatever happens and uh cisco gets thrown back in time alternate reality it's more of like a he's he's thrown into the twilight zone he's thrown into the twilight zone and he has a weird (laughs) and he has a weird little extremely emotional traumatic journey where basically he Mm -hmm. is he's a a writer a science fiction writer in the 50s he may or may not have actually written the real events that take place (laughs) in star trek it's it's very twilight zoney and it's very uh, much a love letter to uh 50s sci-fi yeah they either they either drop a reality into a sub-reality or they ascend into a higher reality and uh, nobody knows mm. which one it is so and it's considered to be one of the best episodes of the show a lot of people say it's the best episode of the show so definitely well check, just check hearing you one. say that it, it does sound great it is it is a really great episode yeah all right so let's let's get into this thing uh just a little background 1999 deep space nine ends Iris Stephen Bear doesn't have anything produced. I'm sure he was working on stuff, but he doesn't have anything produced for two seasons until uh, 2001 when the show Bob Patterson uh, came on the air. That was a sitcom uh, starring Jason Alexander as a self-help guru, and it, well, they shot ten episodes of the show, and they aired five of them before the thing was canceled. Yeah, it was all right. I, I haven't seen it, unfortunately, but we'll get into that later on, you know, down the road um but the next season iris steven bear from what i remember reading in some interview somewhere was offered two television shows birds of prey which is based on the dc comic book Mm -hmm. and the new twilight zone and he chose the twilight zone so i'm assuming that 99.9 percent of people listening to this show are familiar with the twilight zone but for those who may not be (laughs) <laughs> Tom, do you want to just sort of give uh, all the both of you guys? <laughs> do, do you want to just sort of give uh, give us a, a 
a taste of what the Twilight Zone is? I mean, how would you describe Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, at the time when it started, the 50s, television was very um, anthology-driven. The, you know, there was sort of serial television as well, but there was a ton of anthology shows out there. And this was an anthology show created by Rod Serling. You could call it science fiction. You could call it fantasy. It, it, it had kind of elements of all these things. Um, nowadays, if you say Twilight Zone to someone, they will always talk about twist endings. You know, they, it was famous for having twist endings that kind of turned the whole thing on its head. But it wasn't always the case. Some of them were just good short stories. Um, but it's uh, it's an absolute kind of landmark as far as television goes. I don't think there's a creative person out there today who hasn't been influenced by the Twilight Zone in some way. So, uh, yeah, it was just uh, half-hour-long stories and uh, mostly written by Rod Serling, but you also had the likes of Richard Matheson, Charles Beaumont, and uh, a few other people doing episodes as well. Yeah. Yeah. And we did a segment on Richard Matheson. Right. That chapter in that show's history is quite impressive and... Mm. Really, kind of transcendent. It's it's a really sort of magical moment in TV history. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, I mean, you're, you're right about the the influence being felt by many people. I mean, for in the Star Trek world, you know, Nicholas Meyer has talked about how when he was at college, they had like 16 millimeter prints of all the episodes, and he just would basically spend all his time in the library watching those. And obviously, mm-hmm. a lot of the uh, the the writers of the original Twilight Zone went on to, to, to do stuff on, on Star Trek, uh, the original series, and it ran for, what was it, five years or six years? I can never remember. Uh, there, were, there were five seasons of the original okay. show, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so it ended, it started in 1959 and ended about six, 65 or 64, somewhere in there? Yeah, yeah, that's about right, uh-huh. Okay. And then in 1983, there was a movie which was directed by uh, four, four people, Spielberg, yeah. Landis, uh, Dante, and Miller, right? Yeah. And, and uh, 1985, there was a, a new Twilight Zone series, which actually lasted for a while, right? Like three or four years? Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it was three, uh-huh, if, if mm-hmm. memory serves me right, yeah. And there were a lot of good people who worked on that too, right? I mean... Yeah. Did Harlan Ellison work on that? I can't remember, but he was involved at some point. Wes Craven wasn't he involved? Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. They, they they very much got you know Joe Dante did an episode. They they very much got a lot of the kind of people of that time who had obviously been influenced by the original, and and they were all dying to get onto that show. It's a uh, very hit and miss, though. It's it's hit and miss. What what are your thoughts on the movie? Uh. I would say hit and miss as well. It's, uh, <laughs> it's you know, it, it's and a lot of people are very fond of it, I know. But for me, there's always a question of can the Twilight Zone exist without Rod Serling because he was such a special element to it. And and I, I find it a bit difficult watching some of the, the later stuff because it sometimes seems like Twilight Zone in name only, you know, and the movie was kind of like that for me. Yeah. So, so this is a, a franchise which has has endured and has been uh, re, rebooted or, or reimagined numerous times. And 
it happened again. I know there were a couple of other weird like TV movies and stuff like that in the 90s, but um, 2002 was when the third show uh, went on the air, and, and that was not developed by uh, Iris Stephen Bear, but it was run by Iris Stephen Bear. What are your thoughts on the 2002 series? You know, I, I would, it's been a long time since I, I've watched um, the thing in its entirety, and I'm not sure I even did back in the day. Uh, <laughs> I, I've watched um, the ones that Iris Stephen Bear wrote uh, that you told me about, so I, I have a bit of an idea of it. I, I wouldn't say I, I don't hate it. I, I don't think it's awful. I mean, there's probably are some awful episodes, but having watched the 80s show recently, there's some episodes of that where I was just like, oh my God, this is so bad. But uh, but I haven't found anything as objectionable in the 2000... Uh, what is it, 2002? Um, yeah. I haven't found anything as bad in that yet, but like I say, I didn't watch the whole season. It just feels... I don't know maybe a little cheap but if you're sitting there watching TV and it's on I didn't find it that bad I thought it was okay you know but whether it's Twilight you know fit to be called Twilight Zone that's that's another question I mean what do you so, guys think I, I'm inclined to agree there's something like I, I've regularly thought about whether or not it's even possible to do a modern Twilight Zone and 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 for a long time, I, I I had just come to the conclusion that it was not possible for television as it is now to host something similar to Twilight Zone, spiritually similar, and like that. That just means it's it's just not possible to do anthology science fiction or fantasy. And and I I believed that pretty strongly for a long time. And recently, um, uh, after seeing Black Mirror, I. Mm kind of had to revise that because that show really really does capture at least a significant amount of like the spirit of twilight zone yeah i would agree with that but i mean like until that and that was like that was like a year and a half ago that first that like that show was, was it, it might have been two years but like that was the first time that i had ever thought like this guy is getting pretty close mm. charlie brooker i think is his name He's, that's him, you probably yeah. know him better than I do. He's a British celebrity, but yeah, uh, right. like I was, yeah, I was, I was, I was really impressed with that. And I thought if this guy was running a, a, a Twilight Zone show, I might, I might be inclined to suspect it of being awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I enjoyed the Twilight Zone. I mean, so, so both of you guys. I guess before I, I give my my thoughts both of you guys i'm everyone obviously is in agreement that the original is the best um so when it comes to the stuff in the 80s it's kind of like highs and lows where you, you, would you both agree that like the the highest points in the 80s were better than the highest points in 02 but the lowest points were also probably worse than the lowest points in 02 is that some, somewhere along those lines I don't think the uh, show is long enough to piece parse through that statement to determine what you mean exactly. Okay. <laughs> like, like basically, like like two thousand and two is like a very sort of stable middle, whereas like 
the 85, you could get great episodes and terrible episodes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. Okay. Do you, do you agree with that, Tom? I I would say so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I um okay. there was there was some decent stuff in the 80s one, but it, like I said, it was just offset by some really terrible stuff as well. Yeah. I I've never seen the 80s show. I, I really want to. I I've seen the movie, um but I've never seen the the 80s show. But I did watch the in, the 2002 show in its entirety um, back when it came out on DVD, and I rewatched you know a number of episodes here as well. And um, I guess what I found with this new show is that uh, it's decent, but you know, like you guys are saying, it never hits the highs that that it should. Yeah. Um, I wish it were more diverse with its creative team. It, it did a really good job of bringing in you know like sort of you know mid-level stars from that era and and you know each episode had someone where you're like hey it's that guy and i kind of wish they would have done that with the writers and directors which it sounds like they kind of did in the 80s and um you know it it would be awesome to see like you know let's say harlan ellison come in and, and write an episode or uh other people from who are working in both television and movies and sci-fi at that time. I mean, why not Sam Raimi or or someone like that? Mm. Um, But instead what we got was an anthology show by a a core group of people who were rather tight knit. I mean, there were a lot of people from, you know, deep space nine, you know, Iris, Stephen bear, Robert Hewitt, Wolf, Thompson and Weddle, Hans Beimler, you know, and the same thing with the crew. You know, it was just structured like a normal TV show where you had your stable of directors and, and it's, you know, the, the same people doing each episode. And to me, it's like if you're doing an anthology show, if you do it that way, especially if it's something as iconic as Twilight Zone where you want to see, like, today's talent give their take on this, you know iconic uh, uh, series you're, you're kind of missing the point and the end result is really just one person's vision again and again and again and even though I mean like Iris Stephen Bear would be at the top of my list of people who I would want to see do an episode of the Twilight Zone I'm not necessarily sure I want to see him do 45 episodes of the Twilight Zone I I don't know. I I know what you mean, and I understand that. But at the same time, like the the first season of the original show mm-hmm. was more or less written by three dudes. Yeah, but look at the in three one dudes. building. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, like sometimes you get all those people, and 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 you lose the the cohesion that that the show had. Like, like inexplicably, as an anthology show, it's a remarkably cohesive work. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, I don't think that there's a magic bullet to making this this particular recipe work. I think it's sort of. I mean, in a way, you need a Rod Serling, but determining exactly what made him so great at what he did, I don't think that science exists that is capable of explaining why he did that or how he did it. I I also felt the budget you know and i i think tom you were saying kind of the same thing you could totally tell that this was one of those you know uh upn vancouver shows it felt like 
the X-Files or Smallville or Supernatural or any of those shows which are shot up in Vancouver. And it just felt cheap. The other mm. one was so crisp and 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 cool looking and this the, one the eighties the one? No, well I was thinking of the uh the original. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. I've I've always thought the Twilight Zone looked incredibly inexpensive. Maybe inexpensive, but it looked like they, they were trying new I, things and being cool. I think I think that's I think that's the the, the 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 haze of time maybe maybe and i think if you look at the shows of that era and the twilight zone you can tell that they were doing what they could but ultimately when they had to show the future it was a bare hallway <laughs> i mean what, what, what do you think tom do, do, do you think that that uh, the look of the original show was substantially better than other stuff or or not it's a it's a tricky one i a lot of it does look really timeless, uh, but like you say, when they had to do something, you know, create some sort of alien, or then it's ultimately uh, they only could do so much. But yeah. you know, it we are looking at it through the haze of time, I guess. If I if I put the original Twilight Zone up against the eighties show, I think the eighties show has dated worse than the original. Um, because the original, it's in black and white. It's almost timeless in it. Although it's fifties, sixties, you know, everyone wears kind of suit and tie and and stuff like that. So the fashions haven't dated as much because you know it's not like the big hair and shoulder pads of the eighties. They're they're wearing clothes that people still wear now, albeit a bit different. So you know, I, I think the original show. D- had a certain quality to it it was all done on film uh there's a few videotaped episodes that looked bad you could tell that they were the videotaped episodes so i I do think it it looks timeless and this this modern version you know it did look like any show and i i get what you uh you said earlier um that I guess all shows might have looked the same as the Twilight Zone in those days. That that that's probably true. Um but yeah, this new one, it it did look a little cheap. Um probably not offensively so, but definitely a little cheap. So the show um pretty much stuck to new stories, although they did um as far as I can tell two remakes and one sequel. Uh the two remakes were the, the monsters are due on Maple Street and uh, the monsters are on Maple Street. Is that what it is? Not the monsters are due. That's the original. Oh, the new one the is monsters the monsters are, are on, on Maple, Maple Street. Street. Okay, like, this time they're actually there. <laughs> like they're not. They're not like late for the appointment. They've arrived. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. And they're not aliens. Yeah. And then the the other one was uh, Eye of the Beholder. Tom, what what do you think about the the remakes? Do you think that they were how do you think they stack up to the originals, and what do you think about just the idea of them remaking episodes in general? You know, I, a lot of people these days get uh, quite um, animated about remakes. You know, if you read online, when a remake's an, um, announced, people really it tends to make people's blood boil. <laughs> Whereas I'm not particularly opposed to the idea i like to see new takes on existing ideas i think it's interesting and sometimes even things that fail can be interesting um in this case although i said earlier um 
that it's kind of middle of the ground and nothing was too objectionable. I think these episodes really suffer, especially, uh, you know, I, the Beholder. If you are aware of the original, it's a it's a beautiful, beautifully shot noirish kind of moody piece, and it just doesn't work in the modern hospital setting, especially with the cheap look of the show. And then uh, the monsters are on Maple Street. I haven't watched that recently, but I think I watched it last year, uh, the remake, and it just didn't work. There was too many changes in it that that just didn't hold up as, as far. I can't specify what they are because it's been a, a bit of a while. But you know, I'm not saying they shouldn't they shouldn't have done it. But Maple Street and Eye the Beholder are two of the most beloved episodes of all time. So if you're going to do it, you really need to do it because. If you don't do it well, it's really going to show your show up as not being as good. So you know. Yeah. Am, am I right in thinking that Eye of the Beholder was like they used the same script, like it was a word for word remake, or is that just me? It it could be. It could I, be. I, I can't. Yeah. I can't recall to be honest, but I think it, it is pretty much beat for beat the same story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it might be the same script. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, I mean, I can kind of see the the intention behind Maple Street and saying, like, look, this is happening again now, you know, in in, in our society, you know, this is why we're going back and and uh, and revisiting this. Um, Something what, kind of crazy about it too. <laughs> I mean, whether or not it worked, I don't know. I mean, Max, do you think they worked or or not? The the the, the monsters are on Maple Street. Mm-hmm. I. I've, I find that, that episode fascinating for, like, a number of reasons. I mean, like, m- mainly, I mean, it was 2002. It was, like, right after 9-11. Like, the, the terrorism, like, paranoia was absolutely everywhere. And the original episode, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, is essentially all about that kind of paranoia and that sort of reaction. And the remake made the, the you know, the evil testing, you know, uh, uh, scientists the rats in the maze uh, people and not aliens and it's incredibly strange because they, by making it more close to what the show is really about they ended up making it almost unrelatably strange which is very strange because the original episode it still seems incredibly like like far-reaching in its implications, it's sort of about the general concept of paranoia, and it really captures the idea of 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 being afraid of the people around you. And the remake kind of breaks that by essentially making it too specific. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I guess I don't remember the the remake is uh, enough to to comment on it, but I do think that like. Just the idea that they were like, this is the one that we're going to remake is almost, in in and of itself, the statement that they were trying to make by remaking it. It is it is kind of fascinating that they did choose that episode because it is it is an absolutely perfect episode for the time. Yeah, and like and, and in general, it makes a lot of sense. It's just the idea of changing it so that they're not aliens. Yeah. That's super incredibly weird and obviously a very deliberate choice. Mm-hmm. But that deliberate choice does not make sense to me. Okay, L- looking at uh, the the credits, uh, "Eye of the Beholder" is credited as being written by Rod Serling with no other yeah. people. So I, I have a feeling they did use the the same script for that one, for for what it's worth. So mm-hmm. now, in addition to uh, 
to the remakes, there was one sequel which Bear wrote himself, and that was um, a sequel to the the episode "It's a Good Life," which is called "It's Still a Good Life." Yeah, and that was the one. Well, I mean, Tom, do, do you want to explain what what "It's a Good Life" was, just in general terms? Sure, it was. Uh, again, it's one of the most beloved episodes of the original series. Um, it was about a family who had a kid who had a certain power that he could make people disappear. They always said he was sending them to the cornfield, you know. But basically, I think he was maybe about five years old, so he has this incredible power, but he's still a kid, so he, he will do things very impulsively. You know, if someone annoys him, then they get sent to the cornfield, so... You know, the whole town is pussyfooting around this kid because, you know, they don't want to be sent to the cornfield. There's no explanation as to what his power is. Um, And even at the end of the episode, Rod Sailing's closing narration, he says, you know, there's no lesson to be learned here, no morals. This is just a slice of life in this town sort of thing with this this child. Um, and you know it doesn't need any any explanation it's it's a really well done episode it's quite creepy at times um so yeah that's uh that's that one yeah so now 2002 you know like 40 years later they decided to do a sequel they got bill moomy who uh was the played the kid in in the original he's now grown up and he's become sort of a science fiction icon himself he worked with bear on deep space nine they kind of lucked out that the kid grew up to be a yeah a, a good actor and a <laughs> right. good guy yeah and cloris <laughs> yeah. leachman yeah. you know she kind of i mean i guess she was around back then but she's certainly yeah. become more popular since and they brought them back and now it's 40 years later and uh the kid has a kid and we see what happened uh to the town you know from that point on uh tom what what, what do you think about the uh about the sequel if for no other other reason i i think this probably justifies that the 2002 twilight zone was made you know i i think it's a really interesting thing to do you know and so much better than maybe you know trying to remake old episodes but actually doing a sequel to one I think that's fascinating and you know I actually quite enjoy the episode I think it's it's pretty decent um Mumi's good in it the story's decent and just going back to something from the Twilight Zone I, I just think was quite an inspired idea so yeah for nothing else if this is the only thing to come out of 2002 I'm happy it was made because I, I quite enjoy this one what about you, Max? Um, it, it's certainly a fascinating experiment. I love the idea of, of a sequel to an anthology episode. It's uh, it's it's very interesting to watch. I don't. I was never really a fan of the original episode. It's one of the Twilight episodes that people talk about. And like when I was first watching the show, I was like, "Oh, this is that one that everyone talks about." And I was like, "It's not bad. It's it's alright." And and so the choice to to make a sequel to that I thought was very peculiar. But um. The in terms of like the sort of scientific uh, experimental nature of doing a sequel to it, that is abundantly fascinating, and I could easily go on and on about that. That said, I don't think it's a great episode. Fair enough. 
I'm, I enjoyed it. You know, I mean, part of it, like you said, is just the idea of seeing a sequel to not only an episode of an anthology show, but also an episode of television, which is 40 years old, you know, and yeah. and uh, that I think is, is really cool. And I also like the idea, uh, something that it, it does, um, which is something that, you know, <laughs> I mean, anyone who knows me knows that I love continuity. I love connecting the dots. And the way that uh, Serling would always introduce the original Twilight Zone with the idea of, like, this is a place where weird things happen, you know, and he was being, you know, I don't know, uh, metaphorical about that or whatever. Of course, it's, it's just an anthology show, but just the idea that, like, yeah, there is a place called the Twilight Zone where really anything goes. The, com- the, the Twilight Zone Companion, right? There's a, there's a line where, where Rod Serling says, yeah, the studio said that was a good idea. Okay, well, <laughs> good. It was, it was good, a good network on, note. Good on the studio <laughs> then. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I sort of, like, always loved that idea. And, you know, when you see things like the the 85 show or the 2002 show, I can't help but think, like, it's not a remake. It's it's a sequel. It's a, it's the mm-hmm. what This is what's going on in the Twilight Zone right now. Which I know is a weird concept mm. in and of itself because it's timeless. But honestly, I'm right there with you. I still think that that a good that a good Twilight Zone like now mm-hmm. would be a continuity driven science fiction series where people explore the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I mean that that could totally. I would. I would if 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 they if like if honestly there was a point when I was watching Fringe where I was like. This feels a lot like the Twilight Zone. This like when they were investigating like a disappearance, and I was like, "This is a lot like that episode of the Twilight Zone." If it turned out to actually be that plane from the Twilight Zone, I'd be like, "Man, this is the best show ever." <laughs> and they didn't do that, but like that got me thinking, and I still think, "Man, that could totally be done." It's a, it's an interesting idea, and you know, I mean, I love the idea that like in that in the Twilight Zone, you can have sequels and remakes, and it's not contradictory because anything goes. That 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 idea I think is really cool. However, and and you're you know you talking about you know there being like a continuity driven version of the Twilight Zone. I kind of saw it like that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. There are episodes where Rod Serling almost like connects the dots for you. Yeah. And and there's an episode of World of His Own where a character erases Rod Serling from the show. Mm-hmm. And that kind of thing just utterly fascinated me. The idea that a character could take over the Twilight Zone and start doing his own thing. Yeah. Uh, that excited me. But now this this sort of leads into Iris Stephen Bear and how, how this... what this show means to him in his career. I mean... I I don't know. To me, I I mean, it's a science fiction show. I mean, that's obviously Ira Stephen Bear's wheelhouse in a sense. But I uh, I think it's weird that someone who is known for basically bringing continuity to Star Trek, like on a weekly basis, you know, like making mm-hmm. it, finding a way to make it work for the first time in 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 this franchise's history, his follow up, not counting the sitcom, would be. An anthology show where there's absolutely zero continuity from week to week. To me, you're you're basically you know taking away the thing that he's best at, the thing that he's known for, in a sense. I mean, do, do you guys have any thoughts on that? I guess um, you know I, I don't know his work on Deep Space Nine, so I I can't really comment. But it's probably 
one of those properties that that comes up you know the twilight zone and if someone kind of hands you the keys to the kingdom you've just got to say yes you know so mm-hmm. i think that's that's possibly what it is yeah i think you're probably dead on i th- I, I like to see it from like a sort of like like psychological perspective because the idea of iris Stephen bear being like locked into some sort of like psychological drama where he routinely puts himself into situations where he has to go to war with a lack of continuity because he's trying desperately to bring continuity to things like to me it just seems like you know like he's a, he's a showrunner he's a producer and like the abusive relationship that he keeps getting into is higher up saying no continuity and he's trying to make continuity happen so that's how i see it i see it as a as a, as a compulsion maybe you know i don't know i don't know maybe, maybe maybe like one of his parents like took away a comic book that he was in the middle of reading and he never got to find out how it ended. It just drove him crazy for the rest of his life. Fair enough. Okay, so there are two new Twilight Zone projects which are currently in the works. One, a feature film, and one, I think at this point it's just a miniseries, but it's one of those Battlestar Galactica miniseries, which they're hoping is going to be like a backdoor pilot sort of thing. Um, the movie is... Uh, going to be directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who did uh, Tron Legacy and Oblivion. And it is not going to be an anthology movie. It's going to be a single story. Yeah. That, to me, I find to be very strange, because at what point does it become not the Twilight Zone, but just a weird story? I mean, you could literally do anything and call Mm -hmm. it a Twilight Zone movie. It's not like there's no precedent for this. I mean, this has happened before. Has it? I mean, look at um, Tales from the Crypt. Okay, they, yeah, fine, they did. Fair. They did two like standalone movies. Sure, sure, but in that case, at least you have the Crypt Keeper, and you have a bunch of guys who had just made this show making this movie. Now, this is sure. I mean, this this movie is being produced by Leonardo DiCaprio. You know, he didn't have much to do with the original series from what i remember the original series of twilight Zone? yeah yeah well i mean maybe not but i mean like if if he's smoking a cigarette i think that it fits perhaps <laughs> perhaps oh, they has to hold it in that really weird way that rod serling did where it's like like right down like by the knuckle <laughs> that, that is i'm sorry let, in before, between his middle and ring finger i don't know why i know exactly how he holds his cigarette but apparently that's in my brain because he's all he always does it but uh, getting back to that I, before we move on to this other thing i do just want to say that you know forrest whitaker was the host of the new twilight zone i don't know do they have a host in 85 who was the host they had voiceover um they yeah it was just voiceover just voiceover uh-huh. okay if it were me Looking at Iris Stephen Bear and looking at him and seeing him speak publicly or whatever, he oh is boy. extremely charismatic. He is very distinctive, and he could totally have been the host of the Twilight Zone, and I totally would have made him the host of the Twilight Zone if it were up to me. Anyway, okay, so Joseph Kaczynski is making this movie. It's not an anthology movie. At what point is it... I mean, at what point do you say the box is a Twilight Zone movie? You know, I mean, well, I, I would actually be okay with that. I mean, you could say that. I, I mean, think the box would actually work really well as a Twilight Zone movie. I mean, what what, what do you think about that, Tom? Do you, are you? Uh, how do you feel about there being a Twilight Zone movie, which is just a standalone story by itself? Um, you know, I've been backwards and forwards on that one. Just going back to the box, was that that was actually a remake of an eighties Twilight Zone episode, wasn't it? 
yeah. Bolton. Yeah, they were they were both yeah. based okay. on the same short story, and for some reason, CBS would not let them mention anywhere in the marketing or the uh, you know the interview process that it was uh, based on a, a Twilight Zone ah. episode. I don't know why. It doesn't make I any see. sense. I've been backwards and forwards on this one, um, and I kind of thought the idea of doing it as just one story was a bit strange and, you know, n- not really quite right. But then a listener to my show sent a message in saying, well, you know, you yourself, Tom, say that the first true Twilight Zone movie was Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. Because I- I've said yeah. that very often, um, you know, it was written by Rod Sailing. There, yeah. there was a few other writers as well. But, you know, it's, it is a Twilight Zone film. It's got the the morality. It's got a twist at the end. Jerry Goldsmith it, music. Yeah, you know, it's all there. It's all there. So I think it's a weird go-to. Okay, it could work. It could work. I, I've actually thought that same same thing myself. Well, but I mean, like when I first saw Planet of the Apes, I thought it, and then like a, like a year later, I was like, oh, it was written by Rod Serling. Yeah, no, that's why mm. I thought that <laughs> because it like, I mean, totally, totally is, and then. So, so Max, you're okay with it too? I'm totally okay with the concept. I think the main thing that like that like that I, I have a hard time dealing with the idea of like you know standalone Twilight Zone feature film is because I mean the main thing, the first thing, the primary thing is is I want more. Yeah, and and that that's the, the essentially the central thing. I mean, it's the same thing with Star Trek. You know, it's like I love Star Trek, and the idea of getting like one movie every three years, it's like that's not good enough. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I want more than that. So, like, that's my objection to the idea. It's not that it's a bad idea. It's just that it's not enough ideas. Okay, well, yeah. um, before we get to the more, which you may or not be getting, um, yeah. what do you guys think about Joseph Kaczynski being the guy? Um, uh, Tom, are you, are you familiar with his work? Have you seen uh, Tron Legacy or Oblivion? I, I've seen neither, so I, I can't really say. And I, I know the last guy who was on it did... Uh, Cloverfield, yeah, Matt Reeves, yeah, yeah. I thought he, he, you know, could be a decent choice, but I don't know this new guy, Max. I think I know the answer to to this question already. But how do you feel about Kaczynski working on the Twilight Zone? Um, uh, based on based on Tron Legacy, and to a lesser extent Oblivion, I'm on board. That again, you know, I, I I do think it's an incredibly bizarre scenario. I mean, there's 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 no way to to do this without having some significant questions about whether or not it'll work. Mm-hmm. And you know, I still think I don't know if it'll work. I mean, like I like Joseph Kaczynski. I I think he makes good movies. I just I I, I don't know if this even is possible. But I'm still hopeful. I am optimistic. I am not cynical or skeptical. I think that it has a very good chance of being good. But again, um, I want more. Yeah. I want more than one movie. Yeah, to me, Kaczynski, I think, is is uh, a kind of perfect choice. There's, I think, very few people who have the uh, the science fiction, I don't know, resume for it, 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 at this period street of time, cred. street cred, who you know would be willing to take on a project like this, and Kaczynski is is pretty pretty near the top of that list. Tron Legacy, I thought, was really impressive. Oblivion, you know, whatever, it looked nice. Um, so hey, yeah, go go, Joseph Kaczynski, why not? Okay, now there's another <laughs> Twilight Zone project, and here this will probably make you happy, Max, and that's a television show. 
which is being which is uh, being developed by Brian Singer. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think about that, Tom? Are, are you a, a Brian Singer fan or not? Well, he's he's done some things that I like and some things that I don't. Um, but he seems a smart guy. I, I think he could uh, he could do it. I think it's interesting what Max said um, that you know. It it's kind of like can this work at all? And I think that's the big question, because sometimes I think, you know, I am hope hopeful. I would like to see new Twilight Zone, and I would like to see new good Twilight Zone. But is it just the case that it sort of died with Rod Serling? And he's so even though he didn't write all the stories, he wrote most of them. He's so running through everything in that show that it's. Is it just a document of its time, and maybe we should leave it as it is and just enjoy it for what it is? But you know, if you got someone smart who has a real uh, vision of what it could and should be, you know, then it's it's possible. Uh, you know, Doctor Who came back and it's a great success now because of people with a strong vision for what it should be. So. You know, fair play if Brian Singer can do it. I, I'm hopeful. Yeah. At the same time, there's something about about the concept of the name Twilight Zone. Like in some ways, I think that that gets in the way, uh, mm. and uh, and it is entirely possible that that Rod Serling is the only human capable of making a show called Twilight Zone. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that the, the the thing that was great about that show can't be recaptured. It just might not be possible with that name. And I mean, again, I mean, I, uh, Black Mirror is is the closest that we've come, I think, and since the show. And if people like that, if Charlie Brooker started a show that was not called Twilight Zone, but was called The Zone, slightly before dusk, <laughs> uh, like that might be that might be exactly what we're talking about. That might capture everything that was great about the Twilight Zone and and work perfectly. It might actually be the name. That's the problem. Okay, and the only way to do it, it might just be that you need somebody to bring in themselves. It might be it might the, the issue might be somebody like Rod Serling, somebody with a with a character and a, and a philosophy and a way of seeing the world, needs to put as much of themselves into this thing as possible. And I do have a lot of respect for Brian Singer and his way of doing things. So if he's doing that, if he's putting as much of himself into it as possible, I think it might actually work. And and if if that happens, I would be incredibly excited. Um, but I still think that there's a significant problem with following up on a thing that worked, mainly because of a person, when that person is not involved. Hmm. Fair enough. I mean, I'm I'm totally okay with Brian Singer uh, making a new Twilight Zone show. Although, in all honesty. There's another science fiction franchise which I would much rather have Brian Singer take the reins of, and that's Star Wars. <laughs> no, not Star Wars. Star- oh, Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> not it's true. Definitely it's true. not Battlestar because Galactica. He was going to talk about. But Star Trek, of course. What? Star no. Trek. I think that 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 is is Brian Singer's uh, true calling. But I don't know that shot in Nemesis that he's in. He didn't do a very good job. Okay, if you say so. <laughs> Okay, um, before we get into our final thoughts, this is just one question which I need to ask Tom because it's very rare that that I I get a chance to to ask this. Um, 
we've talked about all this continuity and and I, I don't know do you well do you consider like like we were talking about do you consider all of these shows to be in the twilight zone in the same sort of continuity or or not um uh that's a good question um some of them it would be impossible to because the world is destroyed or you know that kind of thing so they're, mm. they're out the window straight away but i've I've always looked at Rod Serling as a kind of a kind of entity from the Twilight Zone, if you will, the way he presents himself as narrator, especially when a story begins and you know you will f- have a bit of the story and then it cuts to Rod Serling sitting in the cafe mm-hmm. that the characters are in smoking a cigarette. He does his narration, and then you go back to the characters. You know, I love that stuff. And it's almost like he's a kind of uh, some sort of judge or god or entity or something. I don't know what, and it's probably best that you don't know what, but sort of like uh, the keeper of the Twilight Zone, if, if you will. And people live their lives, and for whatever reason, the Twilight Zone kind of reaches out and put some strangeness into their life and sometimes it's a morality thing you know they learn a lesson from their skirmish with the twilight zone other times it's not you know who knows what the reason is we'll never know so that's the kind of way i i look at it uh maybe not everything in the same continuity um but i guess if i'm going to think of them that way then it would be um so i i couldn't give you a you know, a total 100% answer on that one. But that's the way I've always looked at Rod Sailing, and I guess that would kind of figure into that, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I think I understand what you're saying. I think of the Twilight Zone as being a multiverse. Yeah, like it's a... Mm. It's a, it's a I mean, kind of what he says in the and in the and, opening, and yeah. I think of him as being a host. I think of him as sort of like... He is sort of like a deity. He's sort of Promethean. And I and mm-hmm. I think of him as being essentially just the guy that opens the door to the audience and says, "We're going to take a look at this part of the Twilight Zone today. Afterwards, I'm going to keep smoking this cigarette." And <laughs> and that's how I've always sort of seen his role because I mean, as science fiction people, we're sort of obsessive about the reality, and I definitely yeah. did think about the nature of the Twilight Zone and his role in it. And I do think that if if somebody did go ahead and, you know, lose their mind and make this show that I'm talking about with a, an established continuity of people exploring the Twilight Zone, I think that there would have to be a story about, like, Rod Serling still being there. Okay, so with all that in mind... Somewhere off in the corner. Here's the big question. <laughs> okay, something which has bothered me forever. Forever? Well, for a few, a number of... Ever since I saw this thing sitting in, in Best Buy on a random Tuesday and who knows when. Okay, so, so Twilight Zone uh, spawned a theme park ride at Disney World called the Tower of Terror. And Disneyland. And Disneyland. And Disney took the Tower of Terror and turned that into a television movie with Steve Gutenberg and Kirsten Dunst. Okay, here we go. So here's the big question. Does the Tower of Terror movie with Steve Gutenberg take place in the Twilight Zone? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and also, when are you going to be doing your Tower of Terror episode of the Twilight Zone podcast? Don't answer that question. <laughs> Say no comment. No comment does the correct answer. <laughs> 
I, you know, I didn't even know it existed. I mean, not the ride. I've been on the ride, but I didn't know that movie existed. Oh, my God. Check it <laughs> I'll out. I'll have to I get back to you on that one. Okay. I didn't know it existed either, but now that I know, oh, my mind is blown. I definitely think the ride <laughs> takes place in the, in the Twilight Zone. Yeah. I think that that's the only place in the world where you can actually go to the Twilight Zone and then get out. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So... So, any final thoughts on uh, the 2002 Twilight Zone, uh, Tom? It's so kind of bland and inoffensive, I think, that if it weren't for the name Twilight Zone, we'd have forgotten it by now. Like I said before, it's not terrible. It's it's watchable. And, you know, now that we've done this, I'll probably work my way through the rest of that box set just out of pure curiosity, but... I'll probably live the rest of my life and never watch it again after that. So, <laughs> you know, there you go. That's not going to be your spin-off uh podcast after you're done going through the the Rod Serling show. <laughs> well, you know, or- originally I was going to go through the the original show, then the AC show and then that show, but I kind of think life's too short <laughs> to be honest to 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 be making a podcast about something you're not really passionate about. So, this podcast here will stand as my comment on the 2002 twilight zone fair enough what about, what about you max any final thoughts on the 2002 show um I, I i i agree the main problem isn't that it's bad it's that it's not exceptional uh if it was exceptionally bad that alone would make it worthwhile uh it's it's just not that though but i do remember when this show was on we actually watched an episode together Mm-hmm. And it was the one with Ioni Sky, and like she's experiencing weird hallucinations with like a bus. And there's a point in the episode where she says, "It's like I'm in that movie Jacob's Ladder," where <laughs> and you looked over at me and you were like, "Is that how that movie ends?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, <laughs> thanks Twilight Zone." Spoilers. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers for Jacob's Letter, a movie that at that point was over 10 years old. But that was that was the main thing I remembered about that show until we started talking about doing this. And I remembered the monsters around Maple Street. And I was like, that was crazy. And for like a few weeks after seeing that episode, I couldn't stop thinking about how weird that episode was. Yeah. And I still think that is an incredibly strange series of choices that led to that episode. For for me, um, yeah, I'm pretty much in agreement with the two of you. I think that it's um, okay, and it's not nearly as good as The Twilight Zone, and it's not nearly as good as Iris Stephen Bear's other stuff, and I think the reason for that is because it plays to the weaknesses of both, both of those things. And uh, the end result is mediocrity. So I am willing to step out of the twilight zone and i'll step back in when kaczynski and singer do their thing and and uh we'll see we'll see uh what's up with that it is kind of like like a like you know gary kasparov and michael jordan playing hungry hungry hippos mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. one no one is in the right scenario there <laughs> right. it's all wrong everything's wrong about that exactly so tom wh- where can people find you what, what where's your uh podcast and and such uh well the website is called the Twilight Zone Network, uh, so it's the thetwilightzonenetwork.com. I, uh, it was once a weekly podcast, but unfortunately these days it's more of an occasional podcast. But, you know, I'm working my way through it, so there's, there's usually these days 
a new episode a month maybe which isn't the greatest uh, schedule but unfortunately that's the way it goes um but yeah the twilight zone network.com sweet yeah and you know i've listened to it it was very well produced very very thoughtful and very much worth checking out he said it's well produced he never says that. yeah what was he's, well, well produced he's a stickler for production <laughs> well that produced coming from really me is a big compliment <laughs> how you make that show so Thanks, so man. yeah th- thank you very much for joining us we, we really appreciate it and uh we'd love to have you back uh, anytime you want thanks man it's, it's been a pleasure and uh yeah absolutely well, it was fun talking to Tom about the Twilight Zone, but this isn't the only thing we've been talking about on Trek.fm this week. Here's a look at uh, what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. The Unmade Starfleet Academy movie. You know, even even on paper. Okay, do we want to do the the script, which was written by the guy who wrote Star Trek V, or do we want to do the script, which was written by the guy who wrote Star Trek Two. Earl Grey. The ships of TNG. Oh no, it's one ship that splits into three parts, just like the D is one ship that splits into two parts. It's not a Voltron, it's, it's one <laughs> ship. <laughs> and Al formed the saucer. The orb. Dr. Bashir, I presume commentary. I know, the, it's just a hostile look on Cisco's <laughs> face the whole time. He's just looking at Zimmerman like, all right, you're a... You're a piece of work, aren't you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to the journey! Seska. And obviously, Seska couldn't let go. No. And she proved that by having his child against his will. Yeah. Now, here is the Maury Show twist of the future. <sighs> he does not impregnate her. She impregnates herself with his DNA. Or so she thought. But he is not the father. The ready room. The ship. But it's also really gloomy, and it's. Sad. I never want to go back there. I don't want to like re-experience that. Like just the visual uh, candy of being able to go outside and and talk to the Vorta. And wow, I maybe didn't phrase that properly. I, I meant I meant the change in color and lighting. Oh. I did not mean. But she's a very. I thought you were Vorta. talking about Kilana. <laughs> she is fetching. No. She's a, she's a fetching lass. Warp five. Zindi evolution. Well, I think maybe Okapa and Insectoid are two races that could have a life together. You know, you've got the nine-year lifespan of the Okapa. You've got the 12-year lifespan of an Insectoid. If they meet at the right time, it could be, could be a beautiful love story. Commentary, Trek stars. Iris Stephen Bears, Star Trek. And it's the first time I heard him say something that he said several times over the years is, you know, one day, one day when we're not the middle child, we're not the stepchild... People are going to go, holy crap. Look at DS9. Literary Treks. Slings and arrows, a sea of troubles. You, you see in this book, too, Picard is facing this melancholy because they've been worried about the Borg, and now the Dominion is on the horizon, and there's these two things, and obviously this is before first contact, so that hasn't happened yet. And Picard seems to be kind of weighed down in this story in some ways. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on the Daily Trek Talk. We have new shows for you every day, and you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can stream and download files from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, Iris Stephen Bear, he wrote It's Still a Good Life, which was a sequel to It's a Good Life. 
um, which was an episode, you know, from the original Twilight Zone series. And if for some reason you haven't seen that episode, or if maybe you want to uh, experience that episode in a different way before watching Iris Stephen Bear's sequel, you can go to audible.com and get It's a Good Life, the Twilight Zone radio dramas, uh, for free. Yes. It's a, there's a whole bunch of great Twilight Zone stuff on Audible. There's, there's a million cool Twilight Zone things. If you want to go into that world, that's really – that's the, like a super obvious one. There's a whole bunch of other amazing yeah. stuff. I, the, I mean, the description here, just to give you an idea, because it's not just a book. It's also it not here, just adaptations. No, it says experience one of television's greatest science fiction series, The Twilight Zone, fully dramatized for audio, featuring a full cast – music, sound effects, and today's biggest celebrities in modern radio dramatizations. And then it gives the description of the episode and says, A dimension of sound, a dimension of mind, listen to more Twilight Zone radio dramas. This particular one has Stacey Keach and Mike Starr in it. Mm -hmm. Mike Starr, of course, of Jersey Girl, and Stacey Keach, of of course, of Escape from L.A. Jersey Girl is your go-to. Just go with it, man. I don't... It's a really bizarre reference. Just go with it. Okay. Uh, Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek.fm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read or the latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank you and Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and Trek.fm. So that's it for The Twilight Zone. We will be back next week to discuss Ira Stephen Bear's fourth series, The 4400. I've heard you hate that show. You've heard wrong. Oh. 